Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. I want to give you all a, uh, a little bit of a life update. First, I want to say hey to Taylor. Taylor's in the house representing Strong today. We've got a lot of new ones here. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very cool. They're everywhere. I was able to share at Taylor's Chapel on Friday, and um, Friday Chapel is always a little buck wild because they just, they're ready to be done, I think, with school that week. But we just had a great, fun time. But now some of them are here today, and we just love having you guys here this morning. A little bit of a life update. So here's kind of what happens in my life is through the week, I work for a company called TLC Management. We go into different nursing home facilities around the state of Indiana, and Florida. My job has been called employee engagement and I oversee our chaplaincy program. One of the things that we do um, then uh, in the evenings that we've been connected with is a thing called Campus Life. Campus Life ministry serves under a larger umbrella ministry called Youth for Christ. Um, Youth for Christ oversees, I don't know, maybe 10 different ministries they do one for juvenile, they do one for single parents, they do one for uh, kids after uh, school, if they get home before their parents get off of work. They do a thing called city life. The thing that we're our most connected with has been campus life. That's to get on the high school, junior high, and college campuses to present the gospel to young people. Um, at the end of the school year, last year, the executive director of that position resigned that position. I sit on a board, uh, an advisory board with Youth for Christ. Being in those different board meetings, uh, one of them had said, hey, Brock, you ought to consider throwing your name in the hat for this executive director position. To which I laughed and said, I already got a couple jobs. I'm kind of content with where I'm at. And uh, another meeting came about and they said, hey, Brock, you ought to consider this executive director spot. And I said, well, I'm not interested. They came a third time and said, hey, if you're interested, which I'm not, then you ought to consider, um, because the, uh, the, the, the closing in date for applications is coming to an end. So Alyssa and I started talking and praying and said, should I be interested in this? And should we kind of go through this process and see what it's all about? So we said, yes, we'll go through this whole process. There was multiple different people that they interviewed. This was the middle of August, got a second interview the end of August. And then they had a board meeting where they called and, and let me know that they had selected me to be the next executive director of Youth for Christ in our area. Yeah. See a lot of smiles out there, but I'm freaking out right now. Um, and so just, uh, just this past week, two, two weeks ago, um, I resigned my position with TLC. At the end of October, I will be um, beginning as the Youth for Christ Executive Director over what's called, this area is called Big Jaws. Big Jaws is just an acronym, and it stands for all the counties that we oversee. It's Blackford, Grant, Jay, Adams, and Wells counties, 13 high schools and 13 junior highs, two campus, uh, I'm sorry, two uh, city life um, locations as well, and then just an awesome team that's kind of surrounded there. So this is a big kind of step for me and for our family. We just feel like this is what the Lord is, is doing next in our season of life. But it moves me from being in long-term health care into, and it's like switching from being with 
90 and 100 year olds back to being you know with 15 to 18 year olds um, as far as our focus of ministry so kind of a big shift that's taking place however with all of that being said nothing shifts here uh, still pastor here still very involved still want to be the the vision the leading our men's groups life groups preaching teaching there may be some more opportunities for pastor andrew to be up here in front in preaching and teaching as well as potentially it may require engaging other local churches around in this position um, but it just creates a little bit more of a of a i guess leadership opportunity for others to grow into as well um, so that's a little bit of an update and announcements coming out soon but i wanted you to hear it from me before you got just a random email or a newsletter or something like wait what this is my pastor. He's got a different job. Um, so that's kind of the quick life update. And hopefully we don't feel too many ripple effects here. Unless they're positive, then we're all about that. Um, okay, so here we go. Let's dive in to our message. We have been on Titus, chapter, uh, Titus the book of Titus, um, I believe for about 10 years we've been here. Um, and this is our sixth I believe week, and we're just now to Titus chapter 2 and verse 6. I'm going to be ambitious this morning and try to cover three verses, okay? Um, yeah, I know. Somebody said last week, they said, hey, so what are you going to try to cover next week? Like the word the? Like what are you going to try to cover? Like you just break this thing down way too much. But we've never, and Pastor Andrew and I just talked about this, we've never taken a book of the Bible and just broke it down verse by verse going through everything that it says. I do want to say hey to Jerry Blake and Marlene. They're back here and their family. They're up from Florida. They're always here for James Dean days. And they just can't stay away from the grease and the tenderloins and all that sort of stuff. Um, love, love seeing you. They were great dear friends of my uncle Kenny and Bonnie Harold, And just love having you guys up here. Um, the United States Marine Corps, they have some of the baddest dudes on the planet. And this is one of their phrases, is we're looking for a few good men. Does anybody remember this kind of mantra that we had? It was kind of through the 80s and 90s was one of their campaigns. Any Marines in the house? Phew. Okay. Sound like whenever I usually ask for an amen. <laughs> All right. Stick to my notes. Check out this phrase. They have a couple of their phrases. One is the first to fight. Uh, the media in the United States of America began to use this term to describe the U.S. Marines during World War I. And the media doesn't get it right very often, but on this time they did get it right. The Marines have served as the vanguard of every American war since the founding of the Corps in 1775, the year before our country was even birthed. They have carried out over 300 assaults on foreign shores from the Arctic to the tropics, Historically, the U.S. Marines are indeed the first to fight. This phrase, a few good men, on March 20th, 1779, in Boston, Captain William Jones from the U.S. Marine Corps, he advertised that we're looking for a few good men to enlist in the Corps for naval duty. That term seemed to ideally fit the Marines because mainly the implication was we only needed a few. If you've got a few, then you're loaded. Because most people have zero. When it comes to having a good man, we need a few of them. And figured that that would be 
enough. And this term has survived for over 200 years, and it is now synonymous with the Marine Corps. Looking for a few good men. As we look at this, and I believe in Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's one of the biggest leaders in the New Testament, writes a leadership letter to another fellow leader that's leading the church in Titus. And so he's talking about leadership, how do we raise up people. There's a big difference between being a boss or a manager and then being a leader. A manager oversees tasks, a leader develops people. A manager makes sure that people get things done. A leader develops the person who's getting the things done. And so Paul is writing to Titus and he's saying, I've got to pour into people, not just to get a job done, but to get men ready and equipped that can get the job done. So we're looking for a few good men. In Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says, similarly, I always think that word is really funny to say, especially fast three times. Similarly, similarly, similarly. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. I want to read this scripture again to you, and this is in the New King James translation. It says, likewise... Likewise is a lot easier to say three times fast. Likewise, 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 exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all the things and show yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing, so we see this word showing. We've got to display something. We're showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent, they may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about us. Throughout the book of Titus, we have focused on older men. Then it pivoted to older women. And now we see it going back to younger men. So we started off on the, on the men, and that was a challenge for a couple of weeks. Then we spent a long time on women, because they've got a bunch of issues that we had to work through with all of the women. Now we're coming back to the men. So guys, are you ready? Steel toe boots on. I haven't been peeking in anybody's windows, but I'm sure we all have been working through some of this at some point. And so we're looking at young men, the responsibility that Titus now has to develop these these young men. We look at this pointed exhortation here in verse 6. Exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Another way to say this would be to be sensible. Um, another way to say this would be to be self-controlled, to be disciplined. The word is meaning like Titus, just as you are teaching our older men, just as you've taught the older women, just as you're now teaching younger women, also likewise in the same way, the same way that we taught our elders, the same way that we taught our old women, the same way that we're teaching our, our leaders, in, in all the same stuff that you've been teaching, now we need to drill down onto our younger men. Let's teach our younger men these very same things. All the sound doctrine here, Titus, Titus was sitting underneath the Apostle Paul for years hearing some of the best and greatest teaching that any young man could have been exposed to. He, his mentor was like, after Jesus, 
the guy who has the biggest influence on the local church and how the church even functions and operates, all of our doctrines, it comes from the apostle Paul. And Titus gets to sit underneath this man for years and hear rich, deep, sound doctrine. And now he's telling Titus, okay, now I've imparted this into you. Now you need to go and lead. And here's the church, and they are a a mess, the Cretans. The Cretans are, are, are trouble. They are liars. The Bible says they're gluttons and they're drunks and, and, and they're lazy. And he says, and this is who now you're called to, to be uh, dwelling with and imparting to. Like you've got a tough task on your hands and bring some sound and solid doctrine to these people. Titus is now exhorted, self-control, sober-minded, disciplined, sensible, The exhortation here is to urge these young men to kind of grow up a little bit, to move on. It's a similar challenge that the Apostle Paul gives to his other spiritual son, Timothy. He tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, show yourself an example for those who believe. The Apostle Paul is drilling down on something to be an example, to be a pattern, to, be, to show yourself. To, and so I want to not only just exhort our younger men, but I believe that the challenge this morning may be actually to our older men. Our older men to set an example so that the younger men around you can see you, can peek in on your life and say, there's a better way. There's a better way to do this thing. I want to lead my family this way. I'll tell you, when Alyssa and I were first getting married, we were watching every couple like a hawk. Like, how did they do that? How are they doing this? How how did they do that? Ooh, don't do that one. Okay, I want to learn from this one. How did they raise their kids? Oh, man, that was incredible. That was an awesome thing. How did they unpack their kids' hearts and and lead them well? Oh, I want to do that. And we just became hungry. There There were markers all around us. There were patterns all around us. And so young men... I want to encourage you, if you are in the house, find a couple models to peek in on their lives and say, God, I want to do this thing. I want to be disciplined and self-control. I want to reign over my emotions well. I want to lead from a heart of love and and, and energy and excitement. Young fathers out there, I want to encourage you with this. I just recently read an article, and the guy was, was writing, and his kids have now been grown up. And he says, man, if looking back, if there was one thing that I could have done a little bit differently, here's, here's the thing. I would have been more silly. I would have just been goofy. I would have just had an absolute blast. Like every day that they were under my leadership, they were going to have a a party. It was going to be fun. Like I want my kids when they exit my life to say, man, that was a ride. My dad, gosh, he was incredibly happy. And we had an absolute blast. And man, he believed in us and he challenged us and he equipped us. But man, did we have an absolute ride and so now we have these examples and so young men we're looking in to have an example we can go back to Timothy we can go back even farther to King David King David wrote this in Psalm 119 verse 9 how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word that the young men would be around guys that are solid in their doctrine that know who God is that model and represent or to represent, to present again what a father is. Let me show you who the father is. So it's a challenge for our older men to show our younger men what this 
is, and this is not a new admonition. This is for every class of people. Paul was writing to Titus, do this with the old men. And old women, do this for the young women. Y'all remember this last week? Do this for the younger women. On and on, every generation. From the elders, this is how you lead the church. So check this out. The Cretans, these were people, they were known for something. They were known. And perhaps you've even called other people, you're acting like a Cretan. What a Cretan. Anybody, you know, you've used that term, you're, you're a Cretan. And it means somebody that's a liar, a deceiver, it's, it's uh, someone who's not awesome, someone who's a bummer, um, someone who might even be lazy. But here's who these guys are. As the Apostle Paul says, that they're liars, they're evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And so he's saying we've got to pull this thing together to raise up some better people. So not exactly a controlled race of people, not really disciplined in behaviors, not really sensible in how they carry out their life. And so the Apostle Paul's writing, he's like, Titus, you got to get him to dial it in. You got to get him to lock it in. As it comes to their eating, they're gluttons. They eat way too much. They have no discipline. As it comes to their energy and what they bring to life, they're, they're, they're lazy. You know, whenever Jesus is handing out talents and he says it's like the king that goes far away and he gives out talents, so some he gives five, some he gives two, some he gives one, and then he's like a far off king, but he comes back and you got to give an account for your life. And the guy that had five, he went out and worked and he got five more. The guy had two, he went out and worked and he got two more. But the guy that was one, he freaked out and buried it. And Jesus shows up and he goes, hey guys, give an account. What would you do with what I gave you? And the guy with the one, he's like, man, I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. And so I just played small and I buried it. And Jesus responds, he goes, you wicked and lazy servant. Get him out of here. There's something about laziness that just repels the heart of God. And I would even just say repels the anointing of God upon your life. Those that want to get up get after it, that have vision burning in their eyes and they've got this thing in their belly. I want to go. I want to get up. I want to get after it. You have a compelling vision that gets you up. You get up on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. And if not, I just want to encourage us, let's get a hold of God. Without a vision, we will perish. But with a vision, we will be restrained and focused and get up and get after it. So he says, here's the Cretans, they're lazy, they're gluttons, they can't control themselves, they drink too much. They, it says they stare and they have long gazes at wine. And they long and lust after the drink. And they're lazy. So the very first thing he goes, hey, with your young men, dial it in. Start, start, start target on this thing. They need to lock it in, they need to get discipline, and they need to get focus. And I would just say not only young men, but perhaps there's some other people out here that could say, yeah, I need to stop eating so much, and I need to get up, and I need to get going, and I need to get a vision and a purpose, and I don't need to drink as much. And, and all of it, it's not just young men, but perhaps we see it a lot in young men. There's some things that the Cretans were known for. I just want to ask this question, not in a condemning way, but just in a really good self-evaluation way. What is your family known for? Say, oh, but yeah, I've, whew, I know them. Yep, they're fighters. Whew, they fought all through school. Man, they fought after school. They, man, they are fighters. Oh, yeah, we, we know them. That's a, that's a family that, on and on and on. 
the Cretans, an entire race of people, were known for a few things. I just want to say this. Could we be known as a people of our good works, of our discipline, of our focus, of our purpose and our passion, that we live and love and laugh and we bring a ton of joy to the party? I just can't help but believe that Jesus wasn't the life of the party. And he was the life of the community. And he was the life of the family. What is it that we will be known for? I just want to encourage you in this. If you're not pumped of what your family is known for, humbly and with compassion, but with a standard, stand up and start speaking to the family. Saying, hey, let's go. Let's go. It's time that we dial it in. We need to get disciplined. We need to become sensible. We need to have some self-control. Because we're out of control. And we need to get some self-control here as the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus. Specifically here in this text, Paul's writing to, to the young men about some different areas of passions in their life. How many of y'all know, at least I did in my younger days, passion and wisdom weren't bedfellows. They didn't go, like I had passion and zeal and I'm saying stuff. And I don't even know what I'm saying, but I'm going for it. And, and, or just living life however, which is a ton of energy but not a lot of wisdom. Then as you get older, you have all the wisdom and you just don't have any energy to get up and do it. And I'm asking God supernaturally, could you blend? Could you grow up our young men in wisdom but to still have all their zeal? And God, could you restore the days of the youth to the gray hairs? That they may run through the tape and finish their race strong. Wisdom and passion, having both of them together. Anybody remember this movie named Wally? In the movie Wally, everyone's just kind of sitting around eating themselves until they're so fat that they can't hardly move. And then Wally has to come up and give them another milkshake or give them another sandwich. And they just stare at screens. Does, it, does this look like any of your kids at home? There's a screen right in front of their face. They can't even move, but, but, we're, but we're so big, but we have no power. We have no zip or energy, and so Wally just has to run around and take care of everybody in their place. This is a picture of Crete right here. It's actually a picture of, of America. The philosopher Plato, he said this, For a man to conquer himself is the first and noblest of all victories. I'm not sure if he stole this from Proverbs 16, but here's what Proverbs 16 says, is a man who governs himself well is better than a warrior who can take a city. I'll tell you, the biggest victory is reigning and ruling over yourself, having that self-control and that self-discipline. Don't, don't try to go over and, and take Afghanistan or Iraq. Try to take your own heart. Try to reign in your own passions. Try to get self-governance over all of those temptations, whether it's the bottle, whether it's pornography, whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness, whether it's lust, dial it in. Rule you. Reign over you. We try to leverage our power and our authority over others when we're the one that's out of control. Men, the challenge is we need to grow up into this thing. And we need to grow up as a leader that is in great control. Ooh, baby. I was doing this with my kids the other day. They got me fired up. And I'm like, okay. Whew, I need the inertin. 
I need the inert and oil. Come on, come on, Jesus. I need some heaven on me because I'm feeling like not heaven. I'm feeling like hell. And I need some help. Come on, Jesus. Come on, get me. And so I'm trying to communicate in a way with a smile on my face. I'm like, guys, I'm smiling. But trust me, there's a very frustrated father in here. Okay? All right. Let's try to work through this thing. And it's tough. It is the battle. It's the fight of our life. The fight to reign in that beast because we're, I mean, I believe a lot of it is just natural. It's energy. It's testosterone. It's our makeup. It's how we were made to hunt, to gather, to go. The sexual desire, any male, doesn't matter what species. Guys, in just a couple weeks, rut is in season, okay? And the deer are going to be going bonkers. Bethany, you just got back from Wyoming, right, and chasing down elk. Guys, I saw, I was in Colorado last year, and I saw a bull elk run across four lanes of traffic chasing a cow elk to get, I mean, he's like, I don't care. I will die for this thing <laughs> right now. I'm willing to put it all on the line. I see her, and she is running. I want that. It doesn't matter if you're a man, you're an elk, you're a deer, you're a dog. I mean, it is something, but it's not an excuse. It may be real, but it ain't an excuse. I've got to rein that in and rule over myself. I gotta have good self-control. Right? So much of the stats that are out there about violent crimes, it's young men. Sexual assault, it's young men. On and on and on. We can't control our passions. We can't control our lust. It's out of control. On and on. Plato, the greatest victory you ever will get is winning the battle over you. King David, the biggest victory is reigning and ruling over you. There's another one, Proverbs 28, uh, sorry, 25, verse 28. He that has no rule over his own spirit, he's like a city that's broken down. It's without walls. It, it will crumble around us, men. It will crumble. Our families, our relationships, our marriages, our kids, it will fall apart. And so, man, let's build, us, build, our, build ourselves back up. In a culture that young men seem to have all this passion, it would be awesome to focus that fight to go defend your country, to fight for your nation. But we don't. We would rather fight with our neighbor or we would rather fight with our own families. But this is the challenge, man. I've got to realize this. I am the only one who is responsible for my emotions. Say that one more time. I am the only one responsible for my emotions. I control my emotions or I allow my emotions to control me. But never as a man of God am I allowed to blame shift or to finger point that responsibility onto someone else. I must take extreme ownership of every feeling that I have. The Bible would say it this way, take every thought into submission, like arrest it, put handcuffs on every thought, every passion, every frustration, it's like, take it, you own it. It, it it's, it's up to you, an extreme ownership, nobody, you, nobody made me feel this way, you didn't do it, you don't have the authority to move all of this stuff, I run the show in here. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, no one has the power to make you feel any certain way without your permission. You gave up permission. You gave up the authority for someone to come in there and just throw a party inside of you. I'm saying, uh-uh. 
I'm going to reign and rule over myself well. I'm glad that God gave, you, gave me emotions. I am. I'm glad that he gave me emotions. But he gave them to me. I have them. Which means that I need to steward them. Which means that I need to oversee them. I need to reign and rule over them. I need to utilize my emotions for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Not to destroy the people who are around me. One of the things that I hear sometimes is how women, women are so emotional. Women are so emotional. I'll, I'd like to say this. I'd like to say men are ten times more emotional. Women, their emotions might be to cry. Men's emotions are to kill. <laughs> the baddest dude in scripture is probably Samson. I mean, this dude, like, ripped down buildings. I mean, this dude, this dude, like, in order for them to subdue him, they had to dig his eyeballs out and chain him to a building. He's like, I don't care. When he pulls down the entire castle. Still trying to bench my body weight. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Samson rips down castles. Are you, he, at one point, he catches a fox. And not just does he catch one. He catches 300 fox. He ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and sends them into the enemy uh, uh, wheat fields to burn up all of their food resource. Brilliant! Was that brilliant? You, you want to knock out a country, you take away their food, right? It's a sneaky attack. And so he catches 300. To catch a fox, are you kidding me? That guy. Delilah, his girl, she cried. But Samson killed full of rage, full of passion, full of emotion. Men are ten times more emotional. And men, we've got to rule ourselves well. I'll tell you this, never consult your emotions when it comes to your commitments. Never consult your emotions when it comes to your commitments. If your commitment is based upon how you feel, you will rarely stay and it will never be stable. This is not emotional. This is unemotional. I said it. I promised it. I will deliver it. Men, you're a man of your word. Your word is your bond. We keep our oath even when it hurts. We said it. It's unemotional. I got to be engaged in this. Young men, we're looking for a pattern. This word pattern from the Greek, it also means to be a stamp or something that would that would model after. The idea is the exact. It's a pattern, a stamp, or like a sealed legal document. Something that was very important that would have an impression upon it. Or they would like dip in wax and then seal that letter. Or the king would have a signet ring that he would seal it. It's a stamp. It's official. And so when the apostle Paul says, check this out, he says that we need a pattern. We need it stamped. We need this with the authority of the king. It's also the same word, the stamp is the same word as the word of scar. Something that leaves a mark. Something that just you can't erase easily. And so he's saying this, and I'll finish with this. He's saying we need to have a pattern. We need to have a mark. We need to have a scar. We need to have something that will be remembered. Thomas is standing with Jesus. He's one of the disciples. He's better known as Doubting Thomas. 
He had one moment where he didn't believe, and now he got a bad rap. But he's not believing. He's like, I don't know, man. Was this really the guy? I don't know. Man, like we, I know we followed him for three years, but gosh, what happened to all that stuff? And he goes, until I see the scar, and until I see the marks in his hand, until he shows me, and I can put my hand into his scars and into his wounds, I'm not buying it. And Jesus, boom, drops into the room. Because is this what you're talking about? Is that, is that what you want? Touch it. Let's go. Get close. Get up in here, Thomas. Get real close so you can see the mark. So get, get with me. Get close so you can see the pattern. The scar of what it takes to be a man, of what it takes to lay your life down, of what it takes to drill this thing, dial it in day after day, to be disciplined, to be focused, to have my mind, to be sober-minded, to be locked in, to lead my family, to, to, to lay my life down, to sacrificially love. It's going to require something, and it may even hurt. Get close, Thomas. You see it? Now, do you believe it? History records that Thomas travels the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to where Thomas gave up his life as a martyr for Jesus Christ. Old men, I want to tell you that there's some young bucks in the house that need to see a mark. They need to see a pattern, and they can't see it from afar away. They've got to get close and this isn't just that we all come to this church and that we all just attend a church service together. No, no, we've got to have life on life together. We've got to get a little closer. We've got to live intimately together. We've got to impart to each other. We've got to get coffees and lunches. We've got to invite them over and say, come, come with me. And we're going to weed this garden and let's pour into your life. Okay, come with me as I'm changing this tire and you're going to get in here with me and I'm going to impart into your life. Old men, be intentional. The Bible says that we've got to be a mark and a pattern for the young men. So what, so what do we do? Yeah, I think it just takes intentionality. And here's the call. The call is a reverse altar call this morning. Rather than calling men forward, we're calling men to go out and find some young men. And so we're going to define a young man as this. Anyone that's under 30 years old. You're a teen. You're a 20. Aaron, were you hoping that you'd be a young man? It's over, bro. It's over, man. It's, here's the call. Is if you are a teen or you're, in a, in a, you're a 20, raise your hand. Look at them. Are you kidding me? Everywhere. Just so we can see, go ahead and stand up. Young men, young men that are teens or 20s. Come on, are you kidding me? Look at this. Okay. And we're going to go one level more because our challenge last week was that, men, that women would be an example for young women. So young women, you're a teen or you're a 20. Go ahead and stand up. Stand up with these guys. All right. Okay, stay standing because the altar call is your hearts. And our church, you're being called to the altar of some hearts here. And you're going to have an encounter with them, with Jesus. And so I, maybe you guys got to get, to get to running. If you could, hang out. 
two, three minutes is what we're asking. And church family, it's not enough just to clap it up. That means nothing unless we're willing to obey scripture and walk this thing out. So we're going to connect. We're going to say, hey, this is who I am. This is my name. I would love to connect with you. I would love to get a phone number. I would love to text you encouragement. Hey, you got that test coming up. Hey, I would love to dive into your world. I don't know what it is, but let's be a little bit more intentional with the young people. Okay, so I'm going to say a prayer. And then all of us as the body of Christ, we're going to go find somebody. Is that clear? Easy? You're going to go find somebody. You're going to introduce yourself. We're going to start building relationships inside of a church family. All right, let's pray. Jesus. We want to obey, and we want to obey well. We want to listen to what you have called us to do. God, I pray that we would be men and women that live with a mark and a pattern about our lives, that we would engage and impart to the next generation. God, we thank you for the young men and the young women in the house and do a great work in their life by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go find somebody this morning. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.